Well, good morning. Yeah, so be it. Good morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors, and today we are in part three of uh, what happy couples know. And we have this on the aisle ways, all right? And so let's just do this quickly. If you're on the aisle, grab this, pass it down. Please sign in. There's a bunch of you here at 10 o'clock this morning. Really glad that you're here. Welcome to and back to New City Church. We really uh, pray that today's message uh, is beneficial to you in your life. I think it will be uh, if you'll lean into what God might want to say to you. When you came in this morning, you should have been given one of these, right? A little white card. If you did, we're going to play with this today. I hope that you will participate. And so if you didn't get one of these, raise your hand and our ushers are going to get that for you. And uh, we're going to uh, kind of dive right in. So they end up high. I know it's weird. It's like you're at school. That's okay. Just hold it up and somebody's going to run and give it to you. Now, if they give it to you, you've got to use it. So that's the only deal. Remember, Jesus is watching. Jesus is watching. Um, so here's what we've talked about over the past uh, two weeks. We've talked about this, right? Everybody in the room, doesn't matter if you're married, single, never want to be married, wish you had never gotten married, doesn't matter where you are, right? Everybody in the room has this. You have an invisible box that you carry around, and inside that box is your hopes, dreams, and desires. And what we've just been talking about is how things have gotten into this box, but what typically happens, like if you don't know my wife, her name is Jen, and on our wedding day, I brought two things to the wedding. I brought Jen's ring and my hopes, dreams, and desires. And I said, here, honey. Make me happy, right? But Jen doesn't, didn't see these as hopes, dreams, and desires. What did Jen see these as? Yeah, expectations. When I look at my box, it says hope, dreams, and desires. But for Jen, it was responsibility. It was work. It was something else that she had to do to make some dude happy, right? But here's the truth. She gave me hers too. And so in our relationship, we swapped boxes and these eyes collided. And when these eyes collide, we get into this relationship if we're not careful. So if you're in a relationship, just be aware of this, that you can get into this land of compromise where you settle into roles. And compromise is not typically bad, but you can settle into roles. But here's where compromise takes a turn for the worse. When all of the stuff that you do or that your spouse does or your boyfriend or girlfriend does, when all of a sudden it becomes things that they're supposed to do. And you get frustrated. You don't thank them when they do it, but you get frustrated when they don't. Right? You don't thank them when the trash gets taken out, but you remind them that the trash hasn't gotten taken out, right? And so we get into this relationship where, well, you, you, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. I deserve this. Or you say, hey, I have to do this because this is what. And so we talked about in the first two weeks about how what happy couples know is this. Happy couples know that for me and my wife, I don't owe her, I mean, that she doesn't owe me anything, but yet I owe her everything. Happy couples know, whether you're like, man, I'm not even in a relationship. Apply this to the closest relationship you have. Happy couples know, happy couples know that we are in a submission competition. Happy couples understand that we are in a consistent race, not to the front, but to the back of the line, right? It's a weird submission Olympics. We're racing to the back of the line. We're going to put other people first. And that's what we've been talking about up to this point. If you haven't heard those two messages, I would encourage you to go on and listen to them, specifically if you're married. Because, uh, man, we jacked this up completely, right? We messed this up. So today, here's what we're going to figure out, because there's still a problem. There's a problem with this. Happy couples might know that it's submission, and it's uh, racing to the back of the line, and maybe you've been trying to do that. You've, you've, you've been identifying what's in your box and what's in their box, and you've been talking about But the, the question that we haven't answered is that you can be submissive person, a serving spouse, a serving boyfriend, a serving girlfriend. You can consistently be racing to the back of the line and still be like, what do you want me to do with these things like these are my hopes like I, I like what's in here 
Like, I, I, this is important to me, and I get that I'm supposed to serve her or him, but what do you want me to do with this? Like, what's my, uh, am I just supposed to, well, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what God wants, what God has asked us to do, that we typically overlook or just neglect to do. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about three other options that you have. So the fourth option is the right option, right? Or the biblical option. You might not decide that it's right. I think that if you did it, you might find that it works. But there's three options that we typically do. Here's option number one if you want to write this in. Option number one is, is that we simply ignore it. You just, you just turn a blind eye to all of these things that are in your hopes, dreams, and desires. You just ignore these things that are within your heart and within your mind. You just push them aside. You will do that for a little while. And then you will not do it anymore. Right? Now, it may only take you a month to break. It might take you 30 years. But at some point, you're going to say, what about me? And you've had it, right? Because these things are important to us or they wouldn't be in our hopes, dreams, and desires box. Option number two that people often do, and if you are a parent of children that are in your home, this is what typically happens. We stay busy. We stay so busy. Uh, I was talking to uh, one of our members today that's already been to a hockey game this morning. (laughs) Right? And maybe your weekend was full of chasing your kids around, and I love my kids, right? But, I mean, those little boogers will keep me so busy that I forget what are my hopes, dreams, and desires, and I just, I just neglect them. And all of a sudden, right, you stay so busy that you're just like, this is not fun. If I have to sit through one more soccer game, right? Option number three is this. So what I'll spend a little bit of time on. You find someone new. Ooh. Now, I am not going to share what I'm going to share next to tick anybody off, okay? So, because I know there's a lot of people here who are on your second, 16th relationship, right? You're like somewhere in that. You've been married more than once. Some of you uh, are actually divorced or separated now, or you're actually walking that direction. And that's who I want to speak to, okay? I want to speak to those specifically. So if you've already divorced and you're already in a new relationship, we're applying all the stuff we've learned to that. We're moving forward. You can't live in the back, right? But if you're here today and you've recently separated, like the ink's not been written yet on the paper of divorce, or you're like thinking about leaving your spouse or whatever, man, please hear what I'm going to say. I'm going to make some observations about option number three because it's an option. Because you know, guys, that we live in a culture where when it gets hard, well, you're just not meant to be and I'll go find somebody new, right? So it's clearly an option in the world that we live in. But let me make three observations really quick. Option one is wherever you go, there you are. You know that, right? I mean, wherever you, there's a reason the grass is greener on the other side. You ain't pooped on it yet. That doesn't sound very spiritual. Can I say that in church? Yeah, I can't, right? Because it's truth. There's a reason that it looks better there. It's because you ain't been there yet. And we forget sometimes that where you are or where you're going, that's where you are. Second observation is this. You are hoping, oh, this is good. You're not, let me tell you what you're not hoping first, so just chill out on the blank. You're not getting out of this relationship and looking for somebody new because you have this strong desire to be selfless. Let's just be honest. It's not because you want to be selfless to them and you want to care for them. No, no. Here's the blank. You're hoping to get something that you're not currently getting. You're so ticked off with this and how that person isn't meeting these needs in your life that you know what? That guy will or she will, right? And so we're looking for something that we're not currently getting and we're pretty confident that we'll find it in somebody new, which leads me to observation number three. Ready? When it's new, it's rarely true. 
If you're currently divorced, or if you're, if you're dating somebody who's currently divorced or separated, here's what you need to know. Time is on your side. Because the more time you spend with them, what you're going to see is it ain't all that it's cracked up to be. And the same stuff that frustrates you now, because you realize on first dates and in new relationships, you, under, you know this, right? You know they're on their best behavior. And so are you. They ain't seen you lose your mind yet. Come on. <laughs> who, in here, who in here can really lose your mind pretty good? Come on, just be honest. Thank you for being honest, right? <laughs> Thank you for being honest. Like you, like they haven't seen you have a meltdown. They haven't seen you freak out when that car goes by. They haven't seen it yet, right? Because you're on, your, you're on the first interview and you're just doing your best to let them see that you're the perfect thing. And so are they. But time will show you, and time will reveal, right, that actually it ain't no better than what you stepped out of. So, don't want you to ignore it. The Bible doesn't want you to ignore it. The Bible doesn't want you to stay busy that you don't even have time to think about it. The Bible doesn't ask you to do that. And the Bible definitely doesn't teach you to leave. The Bible doesn't teach that. So what does the Bible teach us to do with this kind of stuff? That's what we're going to answer today, and here is how we're going to get there. Happy couples know, right? Happy couples know that sometimes you have to throw things. <laughs> Happy couples know that some, some of you are like, dude, we have an excellent marriage. Because, man, we just, I, I threw the remote at you last night. That was, I, it felt good. It felt good leaving my hand, Right? <laughs> Right? Some of you are like, I'm an excellent parent because, like, I used to make the joke and make my parents so mad I could say I could take you back to my childhood home and point at something, and there's a good chance I'd been hit with it. You know? <laughs> um, uh, I was that kind of kid as when I was little. My poor parents. My poor parents. But happy couples know that sometimes you have to throw things, and of course I'm going to put a spiritual spin on that because I'm not endorsing violence or being mean and hateful, right? So let's look to see what option number four is, what the scriptures teach us. And we're going to look to uh, Peter, who was the chief of the disciples that walked with Jesus. And I think we should listen to what this man has to say. So if you're here and you're kind of a skeptic skeptic to the gospel, you're not really uh, into maybe the Bible being a truth for you, I I want you to kind of observe this. Peter spent more time with Jesus than anyone else. Um, Peter had extreme highs and extreme lows following Jesus. He let Jesus down miserably, and Jesus brought him back into the ministry. And so I think he's somebody with credibility. He was an eyewitness to pretty much everything that Jesus did did historically, right? Historically. And so this is what Peter, he writes a couple of letters, and in 1 Peter 5.5, this is what Peter says. First three words, all of you. What does that mean when he says all of you? Who is he leaving out? No one. So Peter is writing a letter to the church. Today we get to read it in 2018. He is speaking to all of us, right? So if Peter's talking to you this morning, just raise your hand. Play along with me. All right, so this is for you, right? Peter says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. So Peter is actually giving us this example here of putting some clothes on. Who got dressed this morning? Yes, we did. Thank you, right? Thank you for doing that for us, right, Um, that you put on clothes. But Peter is saying, hey, let's put on, we're going to put on humility. We're going to put on humility, which means that you don't have to put it on, right? You don't have to put on humility. You can put on being proud and those sorts of things, but we put on humility. It's something that we wear. And so let's kind of talk about that real quick, And because we think humility oftentimes is in our head. It's something that's in our head, or it's like a, an internal posture. It's, a, it's an attitude, maybe, and actually it's not. And so i got a question that I want you to put in that will help you put on humility, okay? Here's the question. Um, what would a humble person do? In your situation that you find yourself in, ask yourself, hey, right now, what would a humble person do? Because, see, we live in our heads. See, you, you, you live in your head. You, you, we think, individually, we think we're humble, 
because we know our motives. But see, the rest of us can't read your mind. We can only read your actions. So humility is not an attitude. It's not an internal posture. Humility is a verb. And you get to be humble. Oh, no, no, man, I'm, I'm humble. No, you think you are. The rest of us are just viewing what you do. And so you might understand your motives of why you did it. The rest of us are just watching what you did, and it doesn't look very humble. It looks kind of proud and prideful. And so in marriage, it's, we, we kind of say, well, what, okay, where are you going with this? Well, in marriage, we have to clothe ourselves, or in any relationship, clothe ourselves with humility. We've got to put it on, right? Put it on and begin kind of to ask ourselves this question, right? What would it look like for me to be small, in this moment? What would it look like for me to put her or him first? What, it look, what would it look like for me to race to the back of the line? What would it look like for her or him to get their way? Like, man, I don't know. In this moment, what would a humble person do? And that's where we start. And all of us maybe say this, Matt, totally agree. Like, like I, I would rather be humble than the other thing. And I, I want to be. But you know who I married, right? Like, isn't that all of our stories? Of course I would be humble if it wasn't for them. If it wasn't for those people, I'd be the most humble person in the world. That sounds even weird saying that, right? right? But, like, but people mess up our humility. Like, I want to wear it. I don't want to necessarily have a me-first mindset. But my goodness, have you met him? Have you met her? Do you know what they're like? It's so frustrating. Yeah. So here's the question, Pastor. Why in the world would I choose to be humble? Why? Well, notice what happens next, right? Because, continuing verse 5, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You know what that word oppose means? I got some blanks for you. This is fun, all right? Like you can dictionary.com it, but when you look at the biblical understanding of the word oppose, it's kind of two simple things. It's to rage battle against or to resist, to rage battle against or to resist. Now, real quick, here's how you might know if you are being prideful instead of humble. A proud person is somebody who is not teachable in a certain moment. So it's when they start talking and your spiritual eyes start rolling. Really? I've heard this, right? I know this. You're not teaching me anything new. You just spiritually roll your eyes. There's no way that you can learn anything in this moment from that person. That's called being proud. And when you become proud, here's what God does. Peter says, the one who spent the most time with Jesus than any of the disciples said, in that moment when you become proud and you become unteachable, that God opposes you. God wages war against you. He begins to resist you. No, God's love, and and God only wants to give me hugs and kisses. Well, Peter says that when you get proud, that God goes to war against you. Like, now, this is probably the easiest question you're going to be asked all day. Who wants to fight God? No, he he will win. He will win. He He will give you the wedgie of your lifetime, right? He will teach you something like, 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 He opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. What is favor? Favor is simply joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. So if you had to pick between joyful and loveliness and all these sweet little words or getting in the octagon with God, what are you going to pick? That's why you should be humble. Well, I don't want to be. That's great. You're, you're, you're keeping your vision uh, here uh, vertical. Let's turn it horizontal real quick. 
Why should you be uh, humble, put on humility with that knucklehead in your life, that frustrating person in your life? It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with him. The reason why is not because you deserve it. It's because he's asked me to. The reason that I choose to put on humility is not because you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's because God has asked me to, that he will show me favor. But if I choose to be a snot to you, God is opposing me as I oppose you. Frustrating, right? It's very frustrating. Let's turn that insert over. Let's kind of keep this thought going. So Peter says, I know you want to focus on the reason why you're not being humble, but you need to shift your gaze towards the Father because it is Him that wages war and resists you when you're prideful, but He will show you favor, show you favor, give you grace, give you blessing when you humble yourself, right? When you choose to put on humility, you choose to say, hey, what would a humble person do right now? Then God shows you favor. Now look at 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He, he may lift you up in due time. So he's continuing this thought, right? So God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not very gifted. I can only pick up things that are under my hand. Right? Like, I can't pick up Bryce's coffee because it's not under my hand. I can pick up this pen. Are you with me? Now, stay with me. Because this, this idea of scripture right here looks a whole lot like prayer. This idea of this scripture, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, sounds a lot like prayer. And go ahead and roll your spiritual eyes at me right now. Matt, please don't tell me that your spiritual answer is prayer because I'm going to lose my mind. That's what I'm going to tell you. But I'm also going to tell you that the majority of this room, and I'm going to make a hard statement that you might disagree with me, the majority of this room, you don't know how to pray. You, you, we don't, we're not praying correctly, right? Or do you have a one-size-fits-all prayer? And I'm, I'm going to go to battle against that, okay, this morning. But think about this, okay? Now play along with me. God's, Peter says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. So just kind of put your hand out, okay? So that he may lift you up. He's going to lift you up. So our job is to stay where? Oh, under God's mighty hand, Right? So if you choose to do your own deal, and you just want to go through life wherever you want to go, man, how can God pick you up if you're not staying under God's mighty hand? Stay under God's mighty hand so that he can lift you up in due time. That when the moment is right, he can not notice, he's not even talking to anyone else in the scripture right now except you. He ain't talking about them. He ain't talking about him. He ain't talking about her. He's talking to you. You stay under his mighty hand so that when the time is right, he can lift you up. See, you've been waiting for somebody else to lift you up. You've been waiting for somebody else to do this for you. And God's like, no, 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 no. I gave you those hopes, dreams, and desires, buddy. And you've been, you've been putting it all on somebody else. You stay under my mighty hand so that I might lift you up. Now, I'm going to give you some practical stuff that we're going to use in a, in a little bit later, okay? Ask this question. It's not in your notes, but I'd love for you to write it in. In your own mind, how does a humble person pray? Isn't that a fun question? How does a humble person pray? Can I give you a couple more questions? In your mind, does a humble person stand or does a humble person kneel? I'm not telling you the answer. It's your question. 
Because when you're wanting to stay under God's mighty hand, I think you need to ask yourself this question. In this moment, would a humble person pray or would a humble person kneel? Then you might say, where would a humble person put their hands? Would they, would they keep their hands closed-fisted or would they open their hands? Where does a humble person put their hands? And I don't know if there's a wrong answer here. Do they put their hands up or do they stretch them out and do they just put their face and their hands out before them on the ground? Like in your mind, when, you, when, you're, when you're trying to put yourself under God's mighty hand, ask yourself, how would a humble person pray? And it's really easy. Then pray that way. If in your mind a humble person prays like this, then man, pray like that. But ask yourself, man, if I'm going to clothe myself in humility, what would a humble person do? And then God says, I'm going to keep my, keep my life under his mighty hand so that he can lift me up. Man, how would a humble person pray? And then pray that way. A humble person doesn't just pray on their way to work. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray on your way to work. But that, if that's the only time you pray, I'm not sure a humble person prays that way. I'm not sure a humble person only prays when they go to the bathroom. That's where you want to pray, that's fine. But is that the only time that a humble person prays? I don't think a humble person only prays on Sundays at church. I don't think a humble person only, 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 only prays uh, at the dinner table when they're holding hands and thanking God for their food. All of those things, I'm not telling you not to do those. But it's this thing of like, like this internal spiritual discipline of how would a humble person pray, and then you get the opportunity to pray that way. One of our values is worship environments. And that's not necessarily about music. It's that in every moment there's an opportunity for worship. And you are the leader of you. And so when you're sitting here like frustrated, you get to decide how would a humble person pray and then you get to assume that posture. And your mindset is, man, I'm trying to stay under God's mighty hand so that not she or not him, but he can lift me up. See, you want God to lift you up. You want God to lift you up. I can't lift you up. I can't keep you up. I can encourage you, but it has to be the Lord who lifts you up. Now, I love this, okay? 1 Peter 5, 7, the thought continues, right? So humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, dot, 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 by. And so Peter is going to tell us now how we actually do that. By casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Sometimes, happy couples know that sometimes you have to throw things. And what we typically do in relationships is we fling all of our anxieties, all of the things in this box that's creating stress in our life, we fling it, throw it, cast it on our partner, on our spouse, and it was never theirs to get. You're putting stuff on them that they weren't meant to carry. You're you're having stuff thrown at you that you were never meant to carry. And what does Peter teach us? He says, keep under the mighty hand of God so that he might lift you up by casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Stop throwing things at them and start throwing things at him. Now I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up because we're going to create a space for this this morning. And as they kind of get into place, I don't want you to be distracted because I want to unpack how I said I'm going to attack how we pray because we often pray poorly. We pray pansy prayers. We pray these polite, like some of you have been in church for so long that when you pray it is so stinking polite. Some of you grew up on the King James Version, so you even have like a prayer voice. Oh, thou God. You never talk like that. Come on, right? And so we get into these little modes of prayer that you start ta- like, man, let God have it. And here's why I know you can. Anybody in there ever lost their temper and let somebody ha- told somebody off? Come on. Have you ever told somebody off? Oh, you know how to pray. Have you ever yelled at that car going by you? You know how to pray. Have you ever lost your mind? 
Several hands went up earlier. You know how to pray. But yet when it comes to God, we don't pray that way. We're like timid. Like That's the thing. Like I can bring to God all of my niceties and all my goodies, but God doesn't want to hear the real raw me. No, He does. And instead, what we do is you bottle it down until you get so much that you explode on somebody or you go home naturally and you just kick the dog or you let him have it or her have it and we take, it, we take all of our anxiety and all of these stresses and pressures to a million different places except to the one who can handle it. And so here's what happy couples know. Happy couples know that I take all of my frustrations about life and sometimes about my wife, and I don't cast them back on her or even on you. My responsibility is to first cast them on him. Why? Because he cares for me. This is like maybe, I don't even know if I can unpack this thought well because I'm not in this season of life yet. Because my kids are little. Some of you don't have children. And so, again, I'm probably going to butcher this. Maybe I shouldn't even try to explain it. But when my son Luke is 16, 17, when my girls are 19 and 20, when they're getting the teenagers, it doesn't matter how they are. I want them to celebrate with me their frustrations. I want them to be able to sit across the, on the couch by me and tell me how I'm ticking them off and how they don't think it's fair. And they know that their dad, their earthly father, can receive it and not have this posture of, no, you can come to me when you love me, but don't come to me when you're mad. I want my kids to be able to come to me anytime because daddy can take it. And why can daddy take it? And why, can, why does daddy not meet them where they are? Because I was a teenager once. And I know that this too shall pass. Some of us, we approach God like, I, I don't even know the, the, the verbiage to give it. But you're not being authentic and you're not being real. So when you hear prayer, you roll your spiritual eyes because, oh yeah, I've heard that before because you've grown up in church. You know all about prayer. You know the Lord's prayer. But you don't pray. Man, when's the last time you've said, God, i got to tell you, I am not happy about what's going on in my life. I'm frustrated about it. God's not going to zap you. He's not going to say, shut up, you're driving me crazy. He wants to hear that from you. By the way, this is not the only way we pray. Sometimes we come to the Lord and we say, God, can I just tell you how, man, my, my son just got home and I'm really happy. God, I, I, I finally got pregnant again. And man, thank you, Jesus, right? Like it's not always screaming because you're mad. That's just a way to pray. But this morning, I want to open that up to let you say, you've been, maybe make the observation that you've been casting all of your anxieties on, on someone that's not prepared to handle it. And so here's what we want to do this morning. We gave you these little cards and you don't have to participate, but man, I hope you do. During this song, it's going to be a two-step process. I want you to cast all your anxieties on this. And then I'm going to ask you to put them in this box. And what is this? This is just a first step to say, you know what, God? I understand 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 a little bit more today than I did yesterday. And this is the first step of all these things that I've been frustrated about, all of these things that I've been ignoring or staying too busy to focus on. These are the things that I'm about to leave that sucker because they're driving me crazy. These are them. I'm putting it on you. And then, here's the second step. I invite you to come up here somewhere back to your chair. And this, I know, man, I don't want to do this. I'm just telling you, what would a humble person do? And then how would a humble person pray? And you do that. We're going to do this song, and so um, would, you, would you participate? Would you take a step of faith this morning and let go and cast, cast all of your anxieties on Him? Father God, we love you this morning. May you be honored And may you receive, and may this even be a step of freedom for so many of us.
I'm going to put the box right up here. Yes, you're going to have to walk in front of people. And don't worry, nobody's thinking about you as much as you think they are. All right? May this moment be a moment of freedom. Church, would you stand with me as we write and participate in this worship moment together? In Christ's name, amen.